0: You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church, and today we're going to talk about what it's going to take to get to work. Anybody ready to get to work? All right, you're going to need to help me out this morning. How can I make a difference with my life? That's really what we're talking about. And whether you're here and you're a follower of Jesus or not, this sense that my life has meaning, my life has purpose, asking the question, what on earth am I here for, is something that is unique to the human experience, and I would say one of the things that indicates we are made in the image of God. It's what sets us apart from the animals, is it not? My dog does not wonder what its purpose is in life. How can I make a difference, you know? And yet these are the big existential questions that every single human being on planet Earth will ask at one point or another. And so this is good news for you. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to teach you how you can discern and actually walk in the things that God is calling you to. But if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I have good news for you as well. God has made you for more, and God wants to do a work through you, but that work actually begins with the work God wants to do in you, bringing you back to a new life, forgiving your sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul talks about this kind of work. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, what's that next word, which God prepared beforehand that we should Walk in them. Anyone know the motto of the Boy Scouts? Be prepared. Be prepared for what? When the founder of the, the Scouts was asked that question, he said, well, for anything. You got to be prepared for anything. And, and so the reality is, when, when it comes to the work that God is calling you to, God is actually the one who's preparing the good works. So it's not necessarily a question of come up with something good to do make your own destiny, figure out your own works. The good news of the gospel says that once you are made new by Christ Jesus, God is actually preparing these good works for you to walk in, and all you must do is say yes. This is what it means to walk by the Holy Spirit. On a daily basis, we are discerning, God, what is the good works you have for me today. And there are those big good works that God calls us to. Sometimes we call those like your life calling. There are these crossroads decisions. If you're here and you're at a crossroad decision in your life today, I think today's message is really going to speak to you. But the reality is, Monday morning is, 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 a, is a moment that God is calling you to good works. Tuesday morning, right? On a daily basis. But here's my question for you. Are you prepared for the work God has prepared for you. It's a little bit of a brain teaser. Okay, it'll be on the screen. Are you prepared for the work God has prepared for you? See, so we still have to say yes to the good works that God that, that we might walk in them. We still have to actually follow through. And are you prepared for that? Let me just give you one of the classic examples for a follower of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes to the church, always being what? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We've talked about this before, that sharing your faith as a follower of Jesus is not just something for the quote-unquote professional Christians. It's not just for church staff. It's not just even for people who are especially gifted with the gift of evangelism. Although if that's you, we need you to get in the game, church. But it's for everybody. Always, for all of us to always be prepared. Now imagine you you have that opportunity finally. You've been praying for that person in your life, you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying. You've been praying. And then you sit down with them, they, they want to have coffee or something, and they just ask you point blank. So why should I believe in Jesus? how prepared are you? God has been preparing that person. The Holy Spirit's been working on their heart. God has been preparing that work for you to walk in. How prepared are you to actually walk in that good work when it shows up? Now, this isn't to say that you need to write out some speech or you have some script. You're like, actually, and you pull out a book, and you're like, you know, this, this is, I've, I've been preparing for this moment, but it just simply means, is God's word in your heart How familiar are you with the gospel, right? Even the the idea of being prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect, not just preparing the theology and the content, but preparing your heart to deliver it the right way in a way that's loving and respectful to the other person. And that's just one of the many good works that God might be preparing for you. How prepared are you to serve? How prepared are you to be generous? How prepared are you to disciple your children? How prepared are you to go into all the earth and to make disciples of all nations? These are the things God is calling us to do, and we might even have a heart to do those things, but have we prepared? So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you eight steps to get to work, okay? If you like taking notes, eight steps, one to eight, and we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah from Nehemiah chapter 2. If you have a Bible, open to Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to see how Nehemiah goes from a man who, who identifies a problem to a man who actually begins to find his calling. This is like his major life calling, his greatest accomplishment in his life. And this is how he goes about this process from sitting on the sidelines to getting to work. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in the first verse. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but the sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. So a little bit of context. If today you're just joining us, we're, we're kind of partway through this, uh, this story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. That's why it says when it was his turn to serve the king wine, the very first step to get to work is to identify the problem. Step one is there's a problem. What's the problem that Nehemiah is facing? The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down for over a century. And he, he was under the impression, perhaps, the work of rebuilding the walls in the city has, has been accomplished. But he gets news, the walls are still torn down, they were burned by fire, and uh, so he's, he's, he identifies the problem, right? We talked about this last week, why that's a problem. Well, his first response, this is step two, this is a little bit of review, is to pray, okay? And if you like emojis, then today's going to be great for you as well. If you're taking notes on your phone, you, could, you can add the emojis in there. That's, that, that should be right. Like, like immediately when we are faced with a problem, we should pray. That should be our first response. And Nehemiah has been praying, by the way, for months, four to five months, a couple times a day at least. So he's been praying hundreds of prayers leading to this very moment. And step three, I know you're like eight steps. We're already through step three, okay? The first two are our review. Step three is he finally gets an opportunity. You get the little guy with a monocle, okay? Because an opportunity is something that that God gives you; it presents itself, but it may not be easy to recognize it first. So, how does this opportunity present itself to Nehemiah? Well, he's really bummed out one day when he goes to work. I know sometimes when we pray, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Sometimes the more that we pray about something, the lighter that we feel, and yet something strange happens that the more Nehemiah prays about the walls being torn down, the heavier it feels on his heart. And he goes to work, and it's kind of similar to the hospitality industry, right, where somewhat, it's not just like serving tables, it's also like being a warm and welcoming presence. You kind of have to put on a face, right? Anyone work work in those industries before? It can be very emotionally draining to do that. I think about the people at Dutch Bros. I'm like, are they really that friendly? <laughs> or are they is there like some like indoctrination phase? It's like you gotta like lean out the window and ask them for their order. Anyways, so, so imagine this, but this is like high stakes. Because for someone in the service industry, what is, what re, you know, what's really at stake? How well you're getting tipped, right? For Nehemiah, his life is on the line. He doesn't want to throw off the emperor's groove, so to speak. And uh, and so it was it was you know it's totally out of line to show up to work and be distressed or sad. Like he has to kind of put on a happy face, serve the king, do his you know do his uh, not to make it about him. And he gets to work one day, and he he's not putting on the sad face. By the way, he's not like this is not a show, this is not an act. He knows that this is like he's trying to keep it together, but he can't. So much so. That the king is like, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? Does that seem like a great opportunity? I mean, this is just like, it's hard to tell. This is not some very clear, like, the king is not saying, Nehemiah, what can I do to help you? The king's like, what's wrong with you? And Nehemiah has to discern, is this the moment that I've been praying for for months? And in fact, it is. Because where we see an obstacle, God sees in opportunity. And what's, what's especially dangerous about this moment, as I mentioned this last week, but I just want to reiterate that he's about to ask Artaxerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, to reverse his own royal decree. See, there were some enemies of the Jews and they were benefiting, it was to their, it was to their advantage to keep the, the, the city of Jerusalem in a vulnerable position. And so during the work of rebuilding, they actually, they actually uh, were trying to leverage and lobby for the work to halt. And they got on the king's good side and they actually got him to issue this decree. This is what it says in Ezra chapter four, verse 21. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And the me in verse 21 is Artaxerxes himself. So this is why the perfect person to get the work of rebuilding done is not some random builder over there in Jerusalem, 750 miles away. It's actually someone who is in close proximity to the king. Nehemiah is correct in discerning that this is his moment. He is, in fact, the perfect man for the job. What's he going to do? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. The fourth step in getting to work is courage. If we want to be people who step out and say yes to the good works that God is calling us to do, we're actually going to be advancing God's kingdom and taking ground from the kingdom of darkness in this world. And that's going to take a little something called courage. Now, there's a little bit of a uh, misunderstanding in the definition of courage that many people you know, kind of believe that courage means we live without fear, and yet it just said, Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. He's just owning it. He was like, I, this is like the most afraid I've ever been, not just for losing my job, but potentially even losing my life. What courage is, is it's not the absence of fear, but it's the decision not to let fear paralyze you. You get that? It's it's to actually be afraid and not even to like overcome those fears and put them in their proper place. It's just simply the decision, I'm afraid, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to give in to the fear, be overwhelmed by the fear, be paralyzed by the fear. It's the decision to say yes to God, come what may. Let God work out the outcome. And you see something very similar happen in the story of Esther. Uh, Esther was the queen married to Artaxerxes' father in uh, the previous generation. And uh, Esther had this opportunity to save the Jews from utter destruction. A very, it's like a parallel story of Nehemiah, actually. She was specifically positioned with close proximity, proximity to the Persian throne to do something to benefit God's chosen people. And yet, when her time came, she actually didn't recognize that this is what God was calling her to do. And it was, it was Mordecai, it was her relative, who actually had to convince her. And she had to get to the point where she says this in Esther 4.16. I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So for Nehemiah, this is his moment. This is his, if I die, I die. This is the moment I've been waiting for. This is the moment I've been praying for. And what Nehemiah does is it's so powerful. I've said this. I've said, we're going to see this as we go through Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a powerful and effective leader because he's, a, he's powerful and effective at prayer. So he takes it. The king's like, what do you want? And Nehemiah takes a breath. Everyone take a breath. And he says a, he says a quick prayer. You ever, you ever prayed a prayer like that? Maybe in school before a test, right? We've, you know, a job interview or something. You're like, Lord, please help me and uh, this is what's called some people call these prayers arrow prayers and it's good this is this is another aspect of what it means to pray without ceasing we looked at last week prayer without ceasing means that nehemiah is persistent in prayer he's not giving up in prayer he has lengthy times of prayer and he has he's praying multiple times each day and that is certainly one aspect of what it means to pray without ceasing you want to know another aspect of praying without ceasing understanding you have access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In the same way that maybe, uh, maybe you have a family member that knows even if you're at work, even if you're busy, they can always send you a text message. And there's a limited list of people that, that make it on my list for that, by the way. And yet my wife knows, like, there, there's no time of day that's off limits for them to reach out because that there's this close proximity of relationship. And so what Nehemiah does, this is one of the best examples of this throughout the entire Bible, by the way. He's got a huge moment ahead of him, and, it's set, like, and we don't know how long he's praying, probably like under five seconds. And it's not out loud. It's like this silent, like, Lord, please help me. Like, it's like this really quick, you know, prayer, and yet it, it demonstrates that Nehemiah doesn't want to take even one step without inviting God's hand of blessing. What if God's people as a whole, what if all of us live this way? What if we pray this way? The reality is we would be a people, if we depended on God like this, we would be a people with boldness and courage to step out into the unknown of what God is leading us to. Look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Famous words that God speaks to Joshua before the taking of the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our courage does not come from our own strength. It does not come from our own ability or our own competency. Our courage comes from God's presence. And I think about Christ Jesus' parting words where he gives this incredible like order, the great commission, go and make disciples. That's our primary work as followers of Jesus. And yet he also gives this promise, and I will be, be with you until the end of the age. And so there's this, there's this sense in which, are we really depending on God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? Now, what Nehemiah does is he has courage but there's a big difference between boldness and being reckless. You see that? Nehemiah is, is very calculated in the words that he uses to make this request. Notice the specific word he left out of his request. He didn't actually mention Jerusalem yet. This nameless city in Judah. And we don't know. Maybe you know, maybe, uh, maybe the king kind of reads between the lines. And knows kind of the city that he's talking about. Or maybe not. He just says, the city that my father's graves are in. And that that would lead the king to say, your father's grave? That city is in ruins? What city is that, right? And it kind of leads him him to this calculated request. And uh, he makes a specific request. What I love about Nehemiah's request is the king says, well, what do you need? And he says, send me. He's not, could you fix the problem on your own? he's a man, he brings problems, but he doesn't bring a problem without also bringing a solution. He's like, I'll go. If you would just give me a leave of absence from the Persian court, if you would give me a, a, you know, a time to do this, I would actually personally oversee this project. So he makes a specific request, and I say this sometimes in our prayers: specific requests get specific answers. He doesn't have this, like, you know, king, could you just fix this? Could you figure it out? He certainly is careful not to offend the king. He doesn't bring up the reason why the work stopped in the first place. He's not like, well, you stopped this work a number of years ago, and it's all your fault. He doesn't blame him. He, he, you can see how calculated he is with his request. So his boldness doesn't mean he's reckless. He volunteers to go for a specific amount of time. We're not actually told the amount of time. Later in chapter 5, we'll learn that Nehemiah ends up being the, go- the effective governor for about 12 years. It's very unlikely that he mentions 12 years as a specific time request. This is very likely he's so successful in his work, the king permits him to stay and continue to rule. So very likely he, he calculates, well, how, you know, he's not just praying about this work, he's visualizing it. You know, that's what a good leader does. They don't just have a general idea and direction, they're actually beginning to visualize this is what it might look like. This is about how long it would take, how long the journey is going to take, how long the work of rebuilding. Are we going to do, need to do fundraising for this, right? And he starts thinking about that. So he, he requests to go himself. He requests a specific amount of time. And then he actually goes one step further, and he says, could you give me protection in the form of an armed escort on the journey? And could you also provide a letter that we might take wood from the king's forest? Could you personally finance this rebuilding project? Has he been thinking about what it's gonna to take to rebuild the walls? You can see here, he's not just praying these ambiguous, God, do something. He's beginning to get specific. And he, he has the courage to not just ask, king, can you do something about this? He's like, send me for this long. Give me protection. Give me some supplies. And this is what happens next. In Nehemiah chapter 2, We're going to start up a little bit through verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Do you see the underlying problem there? That there's kind of antagonists, there's enemies of the people of Israel, and finally someone has stepped up with courage to say, I'll lead the people, I'll help the people. This, This really begs the question, how do you know that the work you're doing is from God? Anyone seen the Blues Brothers? They say, we're on a mission from God. And some people kind of act like that in their lives. Well, how do you know? how do you know that it wasn't just a good idea that you had? Or maybe a bad idea that you had, but you're just set to that idea. How do you know that God has ordained this work? Nehemiah says it, the good hand of God has been upon me. So there is some sense here, step five, that we must discern, is God blessing it? Step five is blessing. To recognize That God has in some way opened the door. This is the language that we use sometimes. That God is either opening a door, he's giving an opportunity, or he's closing a door. And what this means is Nehemiah is not chalking the, 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 uh, the hand of the king as being the reason why this is successful. Yeah, it's the king's letter, but it's God's hand of blessing. And he's not just saying, well, I guess the king was in a good mood that day. Well, I guess it's good luck. Well, I guess it's just coincidence, recognizing that God is the one who is making a way. Now, here's what we have to be really careful about. Just because God has blessed you to do a work, does that mean it's going to be easy to do that work? To be really careful about this. It doesn't mean that it's always sunshine and rainbows. It doesn't mean that there won't be opposition and resistance. In fact, we see the foreshadowing of that here. Oh, some new guy is showing up from the Persian court with letters. And he actually wants to help the people. He wants to start this building project in Samballot and Tobiah. And we're going to see there's going to be some enemies, some foreshadowing that they are going to a- oppose the work. And I would say this, that at any time that... that I personally, or we as a church have seen breakthrough for God's kingdom, the amount of resistance and spiritual attack that I've experienced has gone way up than in times where it's just kind of stable and everything's just humming along just fine. And uh, we have to recognize that, that there is God's blessing in His hand, but His blessing doesn't look like it's always easy. What it means is He's going to see us through to the end. I say this sometimes, if God has called you to it, then He'll see you through it. But that journey through it, it might look like the valley of the shadow of death at times. It might look like roadblock and obstacle. It might look, and you have to be careful not to chalk up resistance to, oh, I guess God's closing that door. We kind of spiritualize it a little bit. Well, God opened the door, and then he closed it. And then he opened it, and he closed it. It's like, well, I don't know if that God's trying to mess with us like that. And uh, so, man, is there anyone in here who, who like, what do I do I feel like God has called me to something, but now there's opposition. Now there's resistance. How do I face Anyone interested? You want to know what to do about that? Come next week. We're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> no, opposition show, shows up already in chapter 2, and I want to spend an entire teaching on opposition next Sunday. So we're going to kind of skip over opposition for today and just settle it there and just say, okay, come back next week if you want to learn how do you face that idea of like, I don't feel like I can keep moving forward, but I feel like God is calling me to. But there's these obstacles, there's this opposition, and I'm not sure how to proceed. Because the closer you get to what God is calling you to, the more fierce the enemy will attack. And so, and so Nehemiah has this, this opposition that rears his head. But he, he, agree, he believes that God has opened this door. He got the letters from the king, he's on his way, and he journeys to Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days, and then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. You see how he's discerning. God put this idea. It's not just his idea. God put this idea in his heart, and there was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night, by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and it's gates that have been destroyed by fire. We'll skip the next few verses, but he, he basically just goes on this kind of scouting mission. This is step six, after you've discerned God has blessed it. God has is giving, you, is giving you that opportunity. He's paving the way. Step six is preparation. Preparation. This is why the title of today's sermon is preparation, because this is a step that I believe is often skipped when it comes to doing the good works that God has called us to do. Put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes for a moment. He's been praying about this for months, and then now he's finally got permission from the king, and he's been traveling for another couple, you know, two, three months. So he's been waiting to get to work for the better part of half a year, right? Six to nine months. We're not sure exactly how long the journey took, but he's been, like, thinking about this. He's been, like, this is his thing right and he finally gets to jerusalem and what's the first thing he does nothing for three days it's like and it's like during the daytime he's always napping because he's up all night doing these scouting trips and he's and so it's just like this is a little bit bizarre isn't that sound a little bit bizarre it's kind of like well, what are you waiting for and this is very opposite of kind of the american work ethic just kind of bulldoze your way to victory and success what nehemiah does is he does the work of preparation this is what the the emoji is a clipboard okay i don't he didn't have a clipboard he had something probably right a little tablet a little piece of charcoal i don't know what they wrote on right and he he, he's he's going he's inspecting all these gates he's like how many bricks is this going to take and what's the you know some kind of measuring stick and he's doing this work but he's doing it at night you see that Now, there's a little bit that he's heard about, there's some some enemies, but there's also this element of he understands that sometimes you need to do the private work before you announce the public work. This is a foreign concept in our social media age, because social media has blurred the lines between your private life and your public life. And so, I mean, this is like coming right off the heels of New Year's resolutions. Anyone know what January 12th was? January 12th is a day known as Quitter's Day. And it changes every year because it's the second Friday in January. But there's been studies done on like specifically athletic New Year's resolutions. And how long do they last? And they last about to the second Friday in January. And you can, like, if you go to the gym, and you go to the gym, and then all of a sudden you show up on January 13th, you're like, where did everybody go? Right? And, uh, and, and the reality is, there's this sense in which Nehemiah understands that the work to rebuild Jerusalem, not just the walls of Jerusalem, but the temple and all this sort of stuff, it's been on again, off again for almost a century. And the people have been let down by false promises, empty promises before. And so it's not just for his own benefit, but Nehemiah is like, this is the time that the walls get finished. This is our moment. And he recognizes that there's benefit at times before you announce, because a resolution or just an announcement, we're going to do it. I mean, how, how many times is that, like, well, what happens if you don't? What happens if the, if the work stops? And so instead of putting this pressure on him, he's actually calculating the cost because the people that have been let down before, they need to see results. What's so interesting is Jesus talks about this in relationship to our spiritual walk with him. It's called counting the cost of discipleship. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, notice the building metaphor that Jesus employs, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And what Nehemiah understands is for for just over 90 years that's happened in Jerusalem. People have started the work and they haven't been able to finish. They started the work and they weren't able to face the opposition. They started the work and they quit. And what Jesus is saying to us is he's saying that when it comes to following him, there can be these like emotional decisions that we make. Yes, I want to follow you and we have this moment and yet when when rubber meets the road, we can often be like the seed that was sown on the rocky soil from Matthew chapter 13, a parable that Jesus told. He said, there's this seed that's sown on rocky soil, and it springs up immediately with joy. But then as soon as times get tough, as soon as there's persecution, as soon as there's difficulty, because there's no depth of soil, that flower withers away. And I'm just here to invite you, like Jesus, to count the cost of discipleship. Not just, to, not just to get excited about, yes, I want to take the world for Christ. Yes, I want to do this. Yes, I want to do that. I'm going to commit to this. And, and not just to kind of rile everybody up in this church like, what are we going to do, church? But to actually do the work of preparation, to be prepared for the good work that God has prepared for you. And so let me just ask you, what are the steps that God is calling you to take to be prepared in your faith, in your journey with Jesus? Maybe it's those spiritual disciplines and practices to be committed, to be consistent. Maybe for you it wasn't your, your, your fitness resolution that, that fell on Quitter's Day. It was your Bible reading plan. And I'm just here to ask you, like, would you just be consistent? May it, it's okay if you get behind in your Bible reading plan. You know, I don't think that God's, like, given, given you, like, an A plus or a B minus or whatever. I think that what God cares about is that you have a heart and a desire to actually sit at the feet of Jesus. And so would you, would you just, like, re-com- like t- this week, would you just recommit? and you're just going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the preparation, because there's action that God is inviting us to, to actually be prepared, to spend time in prayer, to be consistent in being a part of our church community. What are those practices? What are those disciplines? We have a resource area in this other room with tons of different books. We just got a, a brand new book called Practicing the Way from John Mark Comer. It's hot off the press, And I started reading it last night, and it's a book essentially on how can you actually commit to the discipleship process that Jesus is inviting us to. Check out our resource area. We would love to walk alongside you in this journey of discipleship to Jesus because the truth is, it's a journey. And so Nehemiah doesn't show up to Jerusalem and post, we're gonna build the walls. He spends time in that private cultivation plotting out his work. But then eventually, after a few days, it's time to get to work. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17. He gathers the leaders of Jerusalem. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. This is, this is good vision casting, by the way. You have to, you, usually you start with the problem. Here's the problem. You see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision, or we might say humiliation. And I told them, of the hand of my God that have been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Here's the response of the people let us rise up and build. Can you sense how epic of a moment this is? So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I love this. Nehemiah is not a lone wolf. Step seven is collaboration. He recognizes the need to do this work together. And, you know, he he says, he's like, do you guys see the problem that we're in? here's the reality. Literally, they live there. So did they know about this problem? Well, obviously. Like, it was, was, the walls have been torn down since these people were children. They were born into a city that was destroyed by fire. And so they're, like, literally aware of the problem. But is it possible to live so long with a problem that you actually stop seeing it as a problem? Anyone have a check engine light on right now? Yeah, you know it, you know it. It's, we do it, don't we? We live so long with these warning lights or with these problems that we're like, I mean, what's this it hurt? It's not hurting anybody, it's not doing anything. And so what happens is Nehemiah sees it as a problem coming in from the outside, but he has to convince the people that the situation they're living in is, in fact, a problem. It's the best way to cast vision. And then he not only says this is a problem, he's like, here's what we're going to do about it here's the solution. He's like, I need every single person in this room to get a hammer. I need every single person in this room to show up tomorrow for work. And he, he's, he's like, we're doing this together. Here's the reality. In our, again, we've talked about this in our individualistic culture that we try to accomplish the great commission from Matthew 28 while simultaneously ignoring the great collaboration from John 17. Jesus' call for unity. What does Jesus say the fruit of our unity will be. The world will know who who he is and that the Father sent him. What is is the the goal of the Great Commission? That the world will know who Jesus is, right? And so we try to accomplish this Great Commission. We get all excited after maybe a a sermon or, or a book that we read, and we're like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it all by myself. Did Jesus do ministry by himself? He surrounded himself with unqualified people, but he didn't do it himself. He sent out his disciples two by two. He didn't even send out his disciples by themselves. He sent them out together. The the apostle Paul, highly educated, qualified, passionate, bold, powerful, apostolic missionary. Did he do ministry himself? Rarely. Look at him. It's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas, right? It's always Paul and somebody else. And so why do we think that we're the exception? That we can do ministry alone. That we can say yes to the good works that God has for us alone. And I'm telling you this, whether it's a work that God wants to do in you, God wants to work on your marriage. God wants to work on your parenting. God wants to work on your anger. God wants to help you grow the fruit of the Spirit. You need community for that. Amen? You need community. You need people around you filled with the Holy Spirit who can speak God's truth to you because you have blind spots and you need God's people to surround you in those moments. But also, if it's a work that God wants to do through you, you want to reach your, your lost neighborhood. You want, to, you want to do something powerful. You, 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 want to, uh, you, you want to help people who are oppressed. You want to provide for needs of someone who doesn't have something you need community for that. Can I get an amen for that? You do. You need community. You need resources. And Nehemiah is an incredibly talented, spirit-filled leader, okay? He's, he's so passionate and he's strategic. And he's like, but listen, I can't do this alone. This is why life groups are so central to our discipleship strategy at Hill City Church. And we've got north of probably 70% of people showing up on Sundays are in life groups. Can we just celebrate that? We have an incredibly high amount of engagement in life groups. And I just want to recognize we have many, many, many new people to our church. I want to personally invite you to sign up for a life group. We've got new groups starting up here in the next few weeks. We've got men's groups, women's groups. We've got groups for your family. We've got a group, we've got a, we've got a group for you, okay? All these different kind of groups. And the reason why our groups meet together is not just for kind of community, like to know people, and that's certainly good. Like, I hope that you become friends with the people that you're in group for, but it's, it's primarily so that God can work in you, and that as a group, God can actually work through you. So, would you go online and uh, just check out what groups we have, and we would love to get you connected with a life group. Are you ready for step seven? Finally, or sorry, step eight. Is it eight? <laughs> I need to get better at this. Step eight is they finally get to work. You've Get the hammer emoji, okay? They finally get to work. We're gonna read about this. The work, the work begins in, in Nehemiah chapter three, but what, this work that had rested for years, for generations, begins to start, and it's brick by brick, it's gate by gate, it's family by family. The work that has been left undone, the walls actually begin to rise again, and the people say that, that line, let us rise up and build, would you say that in your heart today, let us rise up and build, the work that God is calling you to in your marriage, in your family, the work that God is calling you to in your, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, the work that God is calling you to, it might, it might be that, those small works, it might be those like day-to-day things, or maybe there's, hey, maybe there's somebody in this room that God is calling you like to a career change, to something amazing, to, to committing the rest of your life to vocational ministry or whatever that is, would you say in your heart today, would you be willing to say, let's rise and build? To do the work of preparation, right? To see those, oppor- those, those obstacles, those opportunities to do all of that. But what is the work that God is calling you to right now? And I just want to encourage you with Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And, uh, and I love this because it can be easy to get discouraged It can be easy to feel overwhelmed. This is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is my prayer for our church, that we would be abounding in the work of the Lord. That when people speak of Hill City Church, generations from now, they're like, that was a church, they did God's work. They did the work that God called them to do in their day, in their city, they were abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing this, here I love this, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Would we be a church that just presents ourselves to God for whatever he has for us? Let us rise up and build. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.